Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's uh, oh, it's such a wonderful opportunity to come and share God's word with you today, uh, and especially to be able to talk about Jesus with you and His amazing life and ministry. Um, you, you can prepare yourself. Let me give you a scripture to turn to. Prepare yourself by turning to John chapter four. Okay. Uh, while you're turning there. I'll just tell you, I noticed something interesting when my daughter and her husband, Chelsea and Anton, built or bought their house out in Illinois. And uh, they live in a suburb about an hour south of, of uh, Chicago. And when we went there, there was something very interesting. None of the, hardly any of the houses have fences between their yards. And I've noticed that from the air sometimes too. When I'm flying into certain areas, you look down in the residential areas and there's just... The, house, the yards all just come together. They just run together and people seem to be able to move freely between them. Now, when I've, I've had a house, either built one or, or whatever, my house either had a fence or as soon as I moved in, I built a fence. And I don't know if that's indicative of, uh, of mistrust or wanting privacy or what it is about, it seems like people in the Northwest, we build a lot of fences. But I'm going to take a spiritual kind of view of that for a moment, we also tend to build fences between us and the world. And uh, Jesus was actually a great example of one who bridged gaps, not built fences. He kept finding ways to, fu to, to enter into people's lives, and we're going to look at one of those cases today. But in order for you to understand this story most completely, we have to have a little bit of a history review, or for some of you, maybe this is the first time a history lesson, about the, the nation of Israel. In, uh, in 722 BC, 722 years before Jesus was born, uh, Israel had gone through, actually centuries before that, they had gone through a, uh, a, a split. The nation of Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom went by the name Israel. The southern kingdom went by the name Judah. Uh, 
it, Judah only was made up of two of the tribes, and the northern kingdom was made up of ten. In 722, however, the idolatry and the gross sinfulness of the northern kingdom, Israel, became so bad that God came in, uh, or, or God allowed the Assyrians to come in and, uh, and take over. Now, the, uh, the northern kingdom, when the people split off, they did so with the, with the idea that they wanted nothing to do with Judah. And they grossly changed the religion of, of Judaism, of the Hebrew religion. They started worshiping in a town called Samaria. They made that their capital. And they said to their people, no more going to Jerusalem to the temple and to make your, make your sacrifices there. Everything's going to happen here in Samaria. Furthermore, they changed the religion. They said, we're only going to uh, recognize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Everything else is out. So anything that David wrote, the Psalms, the books of Judges, uh, all of those things were out of their history, out of their religion. And uh, they, they completely changed it and walked away from what had been clearly a, a very distinctive Jewish religion. They went away into Assyria. And the fact is, they actually never formally came back. They, they were just scattered. They were just gone. And, uh, but then, 136 years later, Judah also fell into idolatry. And the, and the country of Judah, or, or the, the, the kingdom of Judah, they were carried away into Babylon. And that's where we have all the stories of Daniel and Jeremiah and the prophets, Ezekiel, and all these Prophets, if you read through the Bible with us last year, you read all those stories. That all centers over the, the kingdom of Judah. And at one point, 70 years after they were carried away into Babylon, they were given the opportunity to go back uh, to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple, and reestablish themselves in, in Israel. And that kind of gives us, if you see in the back of me here, there's a map. Uh, that kind of gives us an understanding of what was happening in Jesus' time. Because some people actually from the northern kingdom did return. And they went back to their old area where their old capital was, Samaria. And if you look at the map in back of me, the, the, the kind of greenish area there, uh, that's Samaria. That's where those people, that, that people went and they settled there. Now, as you might guess... Those who were true to the Jewish religion through all those centuries were not very favorably disposed toward the people who went back to Samaria. They saw them as traitorous. They saw them as a completely watered down and changed religion. And in fact, the people of Samaria worshipped at a different place. They wouldn't go to Jerusalem to worship. They worshipped in Samaria. They went to a mountain called Mount Gerizim. You can see it on the map. That's where they went to do their worship. They were looking for a Messiah, but they didn't even recognize the name that we do. Uh, they thought that their Messiah was named Tahib. So they were looking for Tahib to come back. They, uh, they, they still didn't believe in any of the scriptures other than the first five books. And so the Jewish people looked at them uh, very disfavorably. They did not consider them to be righteous. They did not consider them to be Jews at all. So this now helps us get a little bit of an understanding when we look at the story. Hopefully I can change this so it'll stop making all that noise. Let me see if I can adjust a little. That wasn't very successful, was it? Okay. 
Now this takes us to a story in John chapter 4, and perhaps this will give you a little bit of context to understand this story in a new light. Because it says in John chapter 4, verse 4, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And he was in the south, in Jerusalem, where he was ministering, and he was going to go up to Galilee, where he did much of his ministry, and it says he had to go through Samaria. Looking at the map, you'd think, well, of course, I'm going from that south area in the brown, where I see Jerusalem, you're going to go north, I'm in Galilee, you have to go through Samaria. Many Jews did not do that because of their dislike for the Samaritans. They instead would cross the Jordan, go over to Pierre, and they would go up on that side through the Decapolis, and then cross the Jordan I'm going to take my coat off. Maybe that's what's causing this problem. Okay. Am I going to have to change mics? He's going to adjust it. Thank you, Brent. We'll see if, if that fixes I appreciate that, son. Thanks. Okay. So, now we have uh, the Jewish people. or We have Jesus... He has to go through Samaria. Some people say, well, he had to go because he had an appointment. I think that's true. He had an appointment with a woman. She didn't know she had an appointment, but they had an appointment. So here we go. It says that he comes to this place from this journey, and he's, he was tired, and he sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is about noon. And as he's sitting there, he, he meets a woman. And a woman comes to meet him there, and that would be very odd that a woman would come to the well at noon because it's the hottest time of the day. So if, if you're, if you're going to get your family's water supply, you're either going to do it early in the morning when it's cool or late in the day when it's cool, not in the middle of the day. But when you learn more about this woman, you'll see why she came at this time. She didn't want to run into anybody. You didn't, she didn't want to see anybody. Many know the story, and I'm going to just briefly cover it, because this, the story of the interaction with Jesus is not the main thing I want to talk about today. Jesus asks her for water, which surprises her for a couple of things. She can obviously tell that he is not a Sumerian. He has a Galilean accent. And so she goes, well, in the conversation, she says, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. Secondly, I'm a woman. Thirdly, I'm a Samaritan. You, should have, you don't want to have anything to do with me. But Jesus, as you know, offers her something fantastic. He says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me of water and I would give you living water. You'd never have to thirst again. She says, oh, I would like that kind of water. Tell me how I can get it. They get into a religious discussion about where's the right place to worship, our Mount Gerizim or your place up in Jerusalem. They're going through all this and then he hits her with, well, why don't you go get your husband? We'll talk about this together. And she kind of covers up, well, I'm actually not married. And he goes, that's right. You've been married five times and you're living with the sixth. You're all familiar with the story, right? And she says, with tremendous insight, you must be a prophet. And uh, through this encounter, she receives new life. She receives salvation. She actually meets the Messiah because she says to him, you know, we are looking for Habib. We are looking for the Messiah. And Jesus says, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the thing you need in your life. And she runs into town to go tell everybody what happened. She literally just leaves the jar there and runs with excitement into town to tell folks what had happened. 
And now this takes us to the point of the message, which is actually not the point of this story that we usually talk about, but today I think is very important. The disciples come back. Now we know that when he had, uh, and I don't think I took time to read this with you, but when, when he got there, the Bible says that the disciples had gone into town to buy food. So they went into a town called Sychar to buy food, and Jesus was back at the well having this discussion with this woman. And in verse number 31, the disciples come back and they say to him, Rabbi, eat something. They, they have come back laden from Walmart with that nice hot deli they have. They said, Rabbi, man, we have got some of the most amazing chicken. We've got these burrito things that are deep fried. And we've got the JoJo's and they've got all this stuff. They're so excited about the trip to town. Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus lets them know that what he has been doing is pressing kingdom business, not food. And he says in verse 32, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He was saying this. He said, winning souls is what gives me strength. Winning souls is the satisfaction of my life. It's more important than my personal comfort. It's more important than my personal choices or preferences. It, it renews us and it gives me a, a real eternal accomplishment. His mission was not a burden. His mission was a joy. It nourished his soul. And even as he was explaining this to the disciples, that woman was back in Sychar. She was telling everybody in town, do you know what just happened to me? I just met a man who told me everything I've ever done, and I think he is the Messiah. And the town is starting to stir with excitement over this woman's testimony. All this is happening simultaneously. And then Jesus says to the disciples, do you not say four months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now this is a very famous scripture among Christians. We, we say it at every missions ministry or convention. We talk about this and it's important. And you can lift that verse out by itself and it makes total sense. It's powerful. But it has even more power when you put it in the context of what was happening on that day. Yeah. You see, there was a Jewish proverb that said, you have to be patient and wait for the harvest. Jesus loved taking well-known sayings and turning them upside down. He said, you say... You've got to be patient for the harvest. I'm telling you the harvest is now. Undoubtedly, the disciples thought there was no harvest in Sychar. They probably thought, there's nobody going to get saved there. This is, a, this is a horrible city. It's full of nothing but Samaritans and their screwed up outlooks, their religion. They don't believe in King David. They don't believe in the lineage of David. They don't believe in the prophets. Oh, and, and they worship in the wrong place. They're doing everything wrong. These people in their minds were hopelessly lost. They had crossed a line that they said they can't be reached. And suddenly now when Jesus said, I need you to lift up your eyes and look, this is a harvest. Sychar is a harvest. Samaria is a harvest field. Guys, open your eyes. 
Open your eyes. And this place that they said was impossible was about to burst into a citywide revival. What man sees is an impossibility. God sees as a harvest field. And here, here, here these disciples are saying, we did the most important thing in town. We got food. Do you know what? They had been commissioned by God. Jesus had said to them, freely you have received, freely give. He told them that they were to open the eyes of the blind. They were to lay hands on the sick. They were to release the demon possessed. They went into town and they undoubtedly encountered dozens and dozens of people. And they didn't bring one person back to meet Jesus. I don't even suppose that it was a topic. It wasn't even something that crossed their minds. These people are too far gone. We just got to get through here and get up to Galilee where we can feel more comfortable with sharing this good news. Uh, How many of you kind of see where this is going? (laughs) What are you doing with the living water that Jesus gave you? Who are we around right now that we think, ah, they're just Samaritans? They're impossibly lost. They are antagonistic to what I believe. There's no way that God could reach them. But contrast that to the words of Jesus who stood up on the greatest day of a feast and said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. We have that stream of living water flowing out from us to a world. This transformed, freshly changed woman went back and brought a whole city to Christ. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar and ran back into town. She said to the people, come see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could it be the Messiah? And everyone went out to see Jesus. They weren't unreachable. They weren't beyond the hand of God. They weren't beyond the touch of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They didn't believe because she had great theology. She had stupid theology. <laughs> she didn't have it right at all. She didn't know about, she, they didn't have it right about the prophets. They didn't have it right about, about the temple. They didn't, she didn't have it right about anything that everybody counted as important, except for one thing. She got saved. Amen. How many of you, when you got saved, had your theology all correct? Oh, yeah, I know, you know. No, you know what? Jesus knew they needed their theology right. So after this great day of they all come out, the Bible says he stayed two full days with them teaching them. I'm sure he said to them, all right, now we've got a lot to straighten out. (laughs) Now that we're all saved, we're all on the same page, let's get some things straight. You know, there's a phrase I like that says when it comes to being a fisher of of men, we catch them, God cleans them. Okay? And, and that's exactly what God does. Did you know our world is full of people that good Christian folks are overlooking or even avoiding? 
They're just too far gone. Sometimes we drop sides in our hearts. We're building those fences between us and them. And we're like hunkered in going, we just don't want their influence to touch us. But really it's the other way around. Our influence needs to reach them. I, I heard a survey. This is fresh. This is this week. They did a survey and they asked people on the right side, I don't mean correct, on the right side of the political aisle, they said, how many of you feel that the folks on the left side want to destroy America? And do you know what? 85% of the people on the right said those folks want to destroy America. Wow. So then they asked people on the left side, do you think the people on the right are trying to destroy America? Guess what? 85% said, yes, those folks are trying to destroy America. And you can take this on, and, and the survey went further, they took it on all kinds of things, and it just reminded me of something. We are a divided country. Oh man, you name it, we're divided. And honestly, some of us are on the right side of things, some of us are on the wrong side of things. But do you know what those divisions have done? They have made us decide, so these are the group, this is the group that I can reach. They're on the right side of things with me, so I can reach them. But do you know those people need Jesus just like everybody else? People who don't see eye to eye with you or me or whatever, they still need Jesus. Lost people are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. We know the enemy, but lost people are not the enemy. People take a perverse path because they're lost. They're hurt. They're deceived. The idols of this world have led people into spiritual bankruptcy, but they are souls who Jesus loves. And Jesus always closed the gap between him and people that were on the other side. A woman who washed his feet with tears came in at a Pharisee's dinner party thrown for Jesus. She's a prostitute, and she comes in and she finds Jesus, and I, I see this in my mind, her running over to him, grabbing hold of his feet, and she's crying so much, hanging onto his feet, that her tears are washing down onto his feet. And then she goes, oh no, look what I've done. So she takes her hair out of a bun and puts it, and she starts drying his feet. Oh dear. And she's, and she's telling Jesus, I'm so grateful I get to spend this time with her. I love you. And the Pharisee is like, well, Jesus, if you knew who this was, what kind of woman this was, you wouldn't be putting up with this. And I, I think basically Jesus said, if you know what kind of a savior I was, you wouldn't be saying that. He said, I didn't come to call the healthy. He says, I call, came to bring the sick to repentance, to bring the lost to God. Lepers came to Jesus who were untouchable. Nobody could get near them because everybody was afraid for a good reason. I'm going to catch this horrible disease. So what did Jesus do? When they needed healing, he didn't say from a distance, no, stay way over there. I can handle it from here. Now, he would go and touch them. And I kind of look at it like this. When he came to him, he'd embrace them. Put his arm around them. Be made clean. Paralyzed man was let down through the roof. Jesus is having a major teaching session, a healing service, and they let a paralyzed man through the roof. You know, back then, somebody who was in that kind of shape was just considered in the way. He was considered worthless, of no value. He, he couldn't re there was no redeemable reason. But Jesus stops everything for a man that other people were overlooking. He called Matthew and Zacchaeus, who were social pariahs. 
They were persona non grata. You know, nobody wanted these guys around because they were the worst. I mean, if, politically, these guys are the worst. And what did he do? He put them on the leadership team. And he transformed their lives. When criticized by a Pharisee that uh, Matthew gave a dinner for Jesus after this, and a Pharisee criticized Jesus and said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was with the staff here at a ministerial meeting back this fall. And a pastor who was the guest speaker told this story. He said, in my church recently, a lady came up to me and said, Pastor, I just wanted to come and meet you personally. I've been attending the church for a few weeks. And I have an important question to ask you. He said, sure, what is it? She said, I live with my female lover. She says, and I want to ask you, if I were to die, would God welcome me into heaven? He said to her, it pains me to tell you this because I love you. But no, you would not. You would go to hell. And she said, thank you so much for being honest with me. I will see you in church next Sunday. We don't have conversations with people like that, and we need those. We need to find ways to create conversations, to make that a part of our lives, to break the walls of this polarized world. We have tensions over schools, sexual issues, politics, pandemic. We're driven into camps. And we begin to see lost people, much like the disciples saw the Samaritans, an enemy. And it's only by bridging those chasms will people be saved. We're the voice and hands of unsaved people. Paul said this, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ, begging people to come to God. I want you to re I don't we haven't quoted this today, but in the story of the woman and the well, the woman says this to Jesus, "You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink of water when Jews and Samaritans won't have anything to do with each other?" Jesus, he, he went through that barrier. I'd like you to take that sentence that she used, and I want you to change it to us today. I want you to make a sentence in your mind that says this. You having a conversation with somebody, and they say, I am a blank, and you are a Christian. I thought we didn't have anything to do with each other. Can I get real with you? I mean, haven't we been real already? Every sin is bad. Every sin will keep you out of heaven. Every sin condemns a person, damns a person. We know that. But I want you to take that sentence for a moment. I want you to take one that you know creates walls between us and lost people and put a, put a, put a title there. Imagine you having a conversation with somebody saying, I am a homosexual. And you're a Christian. 
I didn't think we had anything to do with each other. I'm a transgender. You're a Christian. I thought we couldn't have anything to do with each other. Notice how quiet it's in here right now. You know what that is? That's conviction saying, but I don't know what to do. How in the world can I relate to somebody that I feel so distant from, so apart from? And it can be a racial thing. I'm, I'm this race. And you're this. And I didn't think we had anything to do with each other. How can we, how can we possibly get through that barrier? Do you know what I think the disciples thought about this? I'm sure when they thought of the Samaritans, they said to themselves, when the Samaritans pull their act together and they realize that they're worshiping in the wrong place, they haven't been observing Judaism the way they should, and they come back to Jerusalem and they tell us they're sorry, then we'll see about this. And isn't that what we do as Christians? When these people realize how wrong they are, and come and tell us that, then they can come to our church and then we'll see about all that. But you know what Jesus did? He found commonality. Even among people who we're on different pages with, there's still commonality. You know what his common thing was? He said to her, hey, do you ever drink water? Yeah, I drink water. Well, I'd sure like some. How about we share a cup of water? Can you find commonality with people in the world who are on the other side of the fence? Do you like coffee? I like coffee. How about we have coffee sometime? Not with the idea that we, they sit down with a cup of coffee and then we hit them over the head with a platter, you know. What's wrong with you? No, just start showing Christ's love. Because here's what's going to happen. You let your light shine. You put up the flag. I serve Jesus. He's redeemed my life. He's changed me. I'm going to heaven. And through maybe not one conversation, maybe not even five, but maybe 10 or 12, they're going to say to you something like this. I sure see that there's something different about you. Todd, could you answer a question for me? You seem to have faith in God. Yeah, I do. If I were to consider on the, if I would continue on the path I'm on and I were to die, what do you think God would say about me when I get to heaven? And here's a great response, something like this. I have learned to really love and appreciate you. And it would give me the greatest pain I can imagine for you to be lost in eternity without God. But if you continue the way you're going, that's exactly what will happen. People need the truth. You know what John said about Jesus? John said that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And he's called us to do the same, to reach a world with grace and with truth. Does that mean you change your view of right, wrong, or politics? Or, no, I'm not asking you to do that. I am asking you, would you possibly open your life to take down a wall and to reach a lost person? who won't walk into church, who needs Christ. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I first of all have to ask if there's anybody here that say, Pastor, I'm actually on the other side of that fence and I, I don't know Christ. And this whole story of this woman receiving new life is something I want. 
and you might have felt unreachable. You might have said, I've been involved in things that most people would just shun me for, that I can see why they want me on the other side of the fence. I don't agree with the people that are in this room, probably. But I need Jesus. If that's you today, would you raise your hand right now? Because I would like to pray with you. People here today say, I just need Jesus. Okay, thank you. Congregation, would you stand with me today? just going to end with a very simple thing, a prayer. Where we say to us, where we make a very small step forward and just say, Lord, would you bring me into contact with somebody who's like the woman at that well? Would you bring me into contact with somebody who needs God, who I might normally have said, they're just, they're not like me. They're not my kind of people, but to realize something, you and I are the only hope they have for, the, for Christ. Only hope they have for eternity. Remember, and when they come to him, he will take care of the issues of holiness. He will take care of the issues of righteousness. He will take care of the cleaning of their lives. Our responsibility is to unashamedly enter into their lives, find a commonality. Let's drink water together. And and give them the truth of Jesus. If you're like me, you find this all kind of daunting. You go, wow, that's a lot. But we've been called. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been, we are the light in this world. And God can use us. Would you do something to me? If you say, today, I want to be available for God. And I'm open to any relationship he would bring me in this world that would bring somebody to Christ. Would you raise your hand with me as we pray? Father, across this room, as hands go up, this is a challenging scripture. The disciples, they were challenged. That we're challenged today. But I'm reminded today that when you gave the Great Commission, you said to go into all the world. You said to go to Jerusalem, you go to Judea. And then you said, of all things, go to Samaria. And that's what you're putting on our hearts today, that we would go to our Samaria. In this community, there are so many that seem so far away, that are on the other side of a fence. Lord, help us to find a way to enter into their lives and to be a light, an uncompromising light of truth that they can come and they can find that living water that we just spoke of. I thank you and praise you for this, that you can use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Pastor Brent's coming. Thank you, Pastor Todd. What a challenging but true word for us today. Um, if you could mute the pastor's mic, I think that's what's going on. So. Um, as, as Pastor Todd was talking, we're going to do our response cards, our connection cards together this morning. Um, I was thinking about what he said about being bridge builders. When it's so easy to be the, the wall builders, right? We... we build up those protections, those safeties against what's out there, but we're actually supposed to cross lines, not draw lines. And um, I was, I, I, a verse came to my mind from Romans chapter 9, where it says, don't just pretend to love people, really love them. And what this story is all about is not about just finding a commonality so you can turn somebody's opinion to agree with you. It's about genuinely loving people where they're at. 
And what Pastor Todd said about meeting people maybe time after time after time and building relationships so that they might know Jesus. It's not about just finding enough common ground to turn their, to, to, to get them convinced to your way. <laughs> so as we're considering these things, as we're saying, God, help me be someone that crosses these lines and reaches out to people that are, are maybe un- considered unreachable. Lord, open my heart to actually love people that I have a hard time even loving. Jesus went to, to the people that, that, that society, their society would have said, no, you can't. But yet he, his love was so perfect and complete, he could reach out across uh, divides to those people. So God, where can you use me? So as we fill out our connection cards today, if you go to nlcchurch.com slash connect or use the Sunday links, we're all going to fill out our connection cards. Let us know if there's something we can pray about um, with you. Again, let us know if it's your first time. But in that area where it says, tell us your story, your comments, here's what I ask. What's a real line maybe that is out there that you feel God is calling you to cross, to, to, to reach someone that is uh, far from God? Um, what's a real barrier that you've allowed in your life that's kept you from sharing Jesus with someone? And we will keep this confidential, but this is a great, actual, real, tangible response, response line uh, for you to take and for us to take and I, for me to consider. I've... I've been considering uh, some interactions I've had this week about how I can be one of those that crosses those lines. So let's take a moment, fill those connection cards out, go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. Let's fill them out together. All right, church, let's stand together. We're going to go this morning. Thank you for gathering with us. What a great morning it's been. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done. From what we started with at the beginning of this morning, where we declare victory over fear, anxiety, and depression, I continue to pray for that victory in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, for your church that we would not just be people that sit in our holy huddle, but we go out and we love those that are lost, that we reach the lost, that we um, go to those that we would even consider outside of our sphere and genuinely love them as, as, as your word tells us to do, that they might find truth, that they might find hope, and they might find life, that we could share the living water we carry with us. And we thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, New Life. Have a wonderful day. We will see you in life groups this week. God bless.